Today's episode of Cinema Gush is brought to you by the Skeletons and the Coat Closet Trope. Good morning. It looks like it's going to be another beautiful, sunshiny day. There's no water to be found, death surrounds us at every possible angle, and you are starving. The burning question going through your heart and mind right now is, what am I going to wear? So you pop open your closet and review all the shirts and pants and hats and caps and helmets and socks and cleats that you own, and come to find that every single one of them is covered in skulls. Brilliant. You might be asking yourself, am I the bad guy here? Or is it that nobody else but me has a great and excellent sense of fashion? Well, here at Cinema Gush, we believe it to be the latter. Just remember when you're decorating yourself with your skull t-shirt, your leather jacket full of skull patches, your helmet with a skull on top of your head, and then your head with a built-in skull inside of you, that you look marvelous, baby. Don't ever question it. Just simply stretch your way onto the theater of life and show the world who you really are. A bag of bones. The skeleton in the coat closet trope. He doesn't just look good. You look good. I don't like Sam. It's coarse, rough, and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Hey, people! It's Cinema Gush, and uh, is this a special guest? I think this is a special guest. This is a very special guest with a very special movie that, if I could describe it in one word, it would simply be insane. That is the correct, correct response. Uh, today's guest uh, is somewhat close to the podcast. It is my lovely wife, Lauren. Quibido, who is uh, is here like two years after we plan on having her on the podcast to talk about this very movie. So for the other dozens and dozens of you we asked to be on the podcast and never got around to, we're deeply sorry, but my wife has waited longer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what are we talking about, Nick? What, what what are we talking about? We're talking about Pride and Prejudice, the delightful 2005 focus That's right. feature That's film right. star. That is a great movie. You know, uh, I don't even mean to go on this tangent, but very recently I've shown Monica the joy of um, playing like ASMR, like um, environmental soundtracks in the background. So there is a three-hour Pride and Prejudice soundtrack slash outdoors mix, which she has gotten a lot of great work done too. But hell no, dog. We're talking about Mad Max. So, 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 hey, no, no. so Lauren, Lauren, <laughs> yeah. do, do you like Pride and Prejudice? I do like All right, Pride and gush over. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bull crap. No, no, no. We are not talking about Pride and Prejudice 2005, which is a great movie. I mean, it is a great movie. She's nodding. They can't see you nodding. Oh, yeah, that, I'm nodding. Yes. yes. President Snow is in it. It's no, amazing. No. What what movie, Lauren, did you pick for us to discuss? I chose Mad Max Fury Road. Now, I know Nick said it, but I was talking over him. So, well, why? Why did you choose Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I... I love this movie, and it's oh, been a while since yes. we watched it, and we watched the black and chrome edition last, last night. night uh, Shiny and chrome? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And I was delighted all over again. Yes. This. So for those who don't know, sorry, this is a, a separate release. This is on the Blu-ray. Like, how do you watch a black and so, white version of this film? It is a separate release. We actually okay. waited an extra year to buy this movie. We wanted it sooner, but we waited an extra year because we wanted this version because George Miller is on the record of saying this is his favorite version of the movie. It is, yes. Uh, right before we watched uh, the movie, we did listen to the director, George Miller, saying some of that. He did say that you might lose a little bit of the color information, but I think as far as like the thesis of what this movie is all about was so good to watch in black and chrome because it's so much like a a black and white man, woman, life, death, birth, 
killing all of those dichotomies. <laughs> it was perfect to watch it in that medium without color. It, it also feels straight up like a 1970s grindhouse movie. It's, it's a lot of fun in black and white. Wow. And it is a very much a high adrenaline. I remember when we watched it in the movie so, theater. So talk about it. yeah. When you, we, we saw it together. We saw it together for the first time in the movie theater. And I just remember that I was gripping my chair. Because the plot of this movie is very, very linear. And when they finally put on the brakes for the first time, I was like, okay, I can breathe again. <laughs> because I was just on the edge of my seat, excited and really into this movie. It is such a well-crafted script. I love it. Well, well, we should talk about that. Sure, well, well I'll, there is no script. That, um, there's yeah. that monster truck commercial thing that's just like, you know, pay five bucks for the seat, but you only use the edge. That's what that makes me think of. Yes. Is what, <laughs> now, was this in Montana, or was this somewhere else that you guys saw the film? No, we saw this in Montana. Yes. So okay. where did you first see the movie? Uh, I saw it in... Lansing, Michigan, with my brother-in-law Ben and his brother-in-law, and they just wanted to have a guys' movie night. And did you see the theaters the or picked. just saw it? it? Yep, absolutely saw it in a jam-packed theater <gasps> on opening night with a ton of people. Like I genuinely, like I hadn't seen any Mad Max film, and still have not to this day seen any other the Mad <laughs> Max films. In fact, in the George Miller Library, I think Happy Feet one and a little bit of Babe Pig in the City two are the movies of his that I've You've seen, seen the most. <laughs> okay, so here's um, the deal. But we yeah, watched. Just go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say like it just um, it was the most one of the most insane movie experiences I've ever had. Just um, it, it was wild. You know, people were just going nuts, and you're just looking around. You're just, everyone's like ah, like you know, like, you, like Lauren said, you're gripping the armrest. You can't believe what you're seeing in front of you. Everything feels so impossible, and yes. when it's all said and done you are convinced 400 some people died in this movie. You're just convinced <laughs> right, that, yes, that happened. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh my so, gosh. But in preparation for seeing this movie, I had seen part of the original Mad Max years ago. We sat down and we watched it. We watched the first two. The first two. We didn't see Beyond Thunderdome, but we watched the first two before this movie came out. Um, the first movie, I think, is overrated, man. Like... There, so I had always seen the ending and thought this is the most badass movie ever because the ending is badass. Unfortunately, I was not aware that there's two hours of nothing happening before it. Um, ah. The second movie was great. I really enjoyed the second movie, right? But in both cases, what I pictured Mad Max being was not what Mad Max and, and Road Warrior were. They were not anything I had pictured Mad Max being. No. Fury Road was what I pictured Mad Max being. It was like the platonic ideal of Mad Max. Yes, that's definitely the way to put it. So. The, and I, the character of Max even, he doesn't say very many things throughout the film, but you care about him. You care about Furiosa. You care about even, you know, the fate of the war boys and for, you know, the, the older mothers, um, Mm -hmm. so much attention to each of the characters is important. Okay, so I mean, we can just Go jump ahead. into Gus. Yeah. Do you have any, I mean, well, she's I mean, got I a lot think, of notes. I think what she's... you're saying is, is entirely true. Like you, you uh, first off, Max has exactly 52 lines in this 52 movie. 52 lines I, in a movie. Yes, and I had character. to look it up and I believe one of them is 
<laughs> yes. Because he does that. A, he does that a couple times. Um, yes, and there he were does. Several people who were uh, they were looking to cast uh, instead of Tom Hardy. Actually, Heath Ledger was in the conversation at one point, and so were a bunch Ooh. of other guys. But man, um, Tom Hardy was riding high from uh, The Dark Knight Rises and a yes. bunch of other movies. So he was the perfect choice uh, for just this this quiet little film. You know, quiet little film. Just absolutely oh, yeah. blown away. <laughs> so we should talk before we jump in. Are you two aware of how the movie was scripted? No. Um, I believe this one was storyboarded first. It was. That was yeah. effectively, and there's only one other movie I that I'm aware of that ever got. Um, oh, what is? Tell made. me. I don't know. Uh, shoot 'em up with Clive Owen. That was oh, that storyboarded first. Actually, the guy put like you can see the storyboard animatronic like animatics that he put online first to sell the movie. And so that's how that one was done first. And so this one had that similar thing where I don't even think there was dialogue in those storyboards. It was just the sketches. No, that's yes. my impression. My impression is they focused purely on visuals and then filled the mm-hmm. rest in. And I, as a visual medium, movies that do that and do it so well like this movie give me all of those feels that you want to feel when you leave the movie theater, that you're kind mm-hmm. of on this high. Um so my background, Brendan and I met at Franciscan University, and I was a drama Hold major. On. Brendan, Lauren, and Nick met at Franciscan yes, we University. Did. That is true. <laughs> I'm not a part of this story. No, continue. <laughs> continue. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, but well, we. You were a drama major. Theater background, dra- maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. So my my background was in drama, and we always talk about how the feels that you have when you're watching a stage production comes at the end with catharsis. That release of emotion really is the key. It doesn't matter if it has a great script and it's got great actors and a great director. It really comes down to the subjective, how did that feel for you? And like um, early on in the movie, there's the there is some tattooing going on, how it's O negative, high octane, on Max's back, and I think that that absolutely delivered high octane throughout the whole entire piece. Crazy blood. Yeah, what a what a what a way to introduce like the film. It just it's almost like there's the promise of the premise right there, of like a universal donor, so universal anybody can enjoy this movie, and then high octane you're gonna get well, mm-hmm. high. <laughs> okay, well let's let's talk about that as well. So I yeah. maybe I have atypical tastes. For movies and I do remember trying to convince one of my um, female relatives that she needs to see it and she's like yeah I saw it I hated it so this Holy. is so again we might have to talk about this in person again sometime um, do you remember when I tried to get my dad to watch it no, I don't remember that. I showed him the, 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 the one of the action scenes, and we got to the Doof Warrior, and I thought that was so funny, and he just goes, mm, looks evil. <laughs> oh and that was gosh. the end of the conversation. I was like, okay, looks evil. We can't watch this. But I... Doof Warrior is legit like many people's favorite character. In fact, oh, yeah. all of the vehicles from the movie recently went up for auction earlier this year. Really? And, uh, the only one that I wanted was the Doof's vehicle. Because Conan O'Brien had borrowed that, the semi at one point, and he was on it dressed as the Doof. I'll put it in the show notes, yeah. but it's one oh, of my please. favorite Conan clips of all time. 
I mean, I'd put that vehicle in my backyard and just stare at it in the evenings. That'd be, I'd sell half the house and there it goes. So just sit there. Yes. Kids can play on it. We'll give them tennis shots every week. Well, and we've got kids. Our youngest is two, and he is really into cars right now. Cars that the Disney Pixar movie, but also all of the different trucks, all of the different things together. And honestly, it. So when he watched it last night, he was enraptured. <laughs> I was about to say, if you don't don't put on cars for your kids, put on Fury Road. <laughs> Fury you Road. Get into cars, boy. Enjoy. He would really enjoy these cars, but I think that George Miller also has that child at heart when it comes to these different vehicles. I love the the triple hearse car. Oh right. And mm-hmm. there's the so there's three different factions of warlords and the one who has ammo he's got these tank wheels and you know just everything is like all of these fun little things that you might not be paying attention to and probably shouldn't be because there's so much action and and fun things going on the war rig is the big tank that Furiosa drives and she has all of these little pieces of her that are part of it that I didn't recognize until way into the film things like having baby dolls that are kind of like melted into the sides and like interiors just 18 guns uh, yes yeah. uh, no, so take us through. You've, you've got a whole... You've got a, well, I've got notes and notes. You've taken a lot of notes on, on, on for this gush. I want, I want you to walk us through. What? I might even start at the end on here. That Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> after the movie closes, there is a screen and it turns black and it has um, just the quote that, Where must we go, we who wander this wasteland in search of our better selves? And I wrote under that, that this movie is a triumph, that it really, (laughs) I really love this movie. Um, I really think that it, in this genre of sci-fi, it's, the movie Mad Max is set in the time of some apocalypse. We know like a very small bit with a voiceover at the beginning that Max is telling us that you know, everything has gone crazy. It makes it seem like there is some sort of um, war, uh, probably with nukes, and, you know, humanity is kind of destroyed. But there's not more than that. I mean, it's just kind of a little thing. We are in that post-apocalyptic wasteland. As a sci-fi movie, though, it really helps to kind of distance ourselves from looking at ourselves in the mirror. And drama really does like to do that, hold the mirror up to society. Like what, what is it that is important to us and all of this. And with Mad Max, it's reflecting things about ourselves that I really thought were beautiful. In this- Oh, please do tell. <laughs> Cause I'm not, your average person is gonna watch this movie and say, this represents the beauty of humanity. The yeah. average person already because we've only had two films in our entire podcast that have ever been considered a triumph: Mad Max Fury Road 
and Coda, which we reviewed earlier this year. Mm. Yes. So it's nice to know that Coda also fits into the Triumph category of Mad Max. Triumph. Yes. Yeah. Well, I did see Coda as well, and I agree with that. Um, when you have... The story is so basic. It is um, a tale of a rescuer taking captives away from their enslaver and drives them off the road to who knows where, but away. And realizing that the only way that they can truly overthrow this warlord is to come back. That is the plot. Mm. And it is fast from the very get-go. Ridiculously so. You see this still of the back of Max, and then you see a two-headed lizard uh, probably from like the um, post-apocalypse, fallout, yeah. yeah, the fallout. <laughs> it's Godzilla Jr. And it yep. seems that it's all still, and then it's rapid shot after one another, um, and he gets into that car so fast, and right away he is being tailed and captured by um, Joe and the rest of his war boys. And, I mean, there's so many things that I was seeing this time around. His tires are stitched on as if you burn out your tires, they're on the road, you take those pieces of rubber because that's all that's left in this wasteland and they are stitched right back on. Every little piece of it you have to use. And, I was, I wrote in my notes here, like, when the action starts, it sounds like cellos, and then you realize, no, it's not cellos, it's this electric guitar. It's, Mm -hmm. like, blended in here, starting this beat, like, revving up from the very beginning. I was struck watching in black and chrome. This is the second time I watched in black and white, but usually we watch in color. I think color Mm -hmm. is still the superior version of this movie, but it is a different experience worth having to see in black and white, Mm -hmm. because, truly, the chrome hurts your eyes. It feels, like, it, it, it... blasts off the TV. The sunset as Max is eating that lizard is just shining in front of him and you can feel the heat of it. It really does give it a different feeling when you're watching it. The, the brights are really bright and the darks are these gray muted waste. It's great. You can feel how dusty this Fury Road is and it like you can feel that it like clings to you and just gets into all of your uh, car parts. They have to stop. The action just so that they could let out all of the extra dust that's accumulated and cool things down. And it's funny, like, you can kind of break up the story with each of those, like, momentary pauses, because we've got to gas up again. And, um, so the story starts, and Max is captured by these war boys, um, with the warlord in charge of them, and he's used as a body bag uh like a blood donor bag um and there's so much of like the very beginning of this is like dehumanizing there are people that are upside down in cages that their sole purpose in life is to donate their blood until they die to keep the war boys alive and the war pups alive uh it is a very harsh world and you there's not a lot of 
compassionate. Everything has to be ordered in a certain way. Everyone has a role to play, even if it is a horrific role to play so that there's the survival of all. But it's very um, like ripping out the heart of humanity in order to survive. Um, I love how the first time you see this warlord Joe, he's being powdered um, because his skin is the effects of like mutations of the fallout on his body. He's getting um, like plastic put over his skin and he's having difficulty breathing. He's got this apparatus on his face like Tom Hardy has he's in grotesque. Batman. He's yeah. grotesque. Also, for the record, the same bad guy from the first movie. Different character, but same actor. Oh, oh I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he has a very much cult leader despot. Like, there are very few humans in the world, but he has amassed a ton of power. It doesn't matter that his body is broken. He is supreme leader and the war boys really do act as um cult members who are so indoctrinated and like the idea of having a glimpse from the warlord at them is like they've been touched by god i, I love from an exposition standpoint how they establish this cult so easily because yes. he stands at the top and tells people not to get addicted to water because you'll yes. resent its absence yes and there are the three monopolies. There's the gas and the ammo and water. And those who are at the pinnacle of those are the leaders in this post-apocalyptic world. Um, but then you see someone who is also broken, but you don't realize also has a mission. And she does not follow the cult leader hook, line, and sinker. She is her own person, and you can see that from the very beginning that her hip bone at her side is the clutch in her car. And what a oh, wonderful- it, What is, I didn't so, miss that. Yes, so I, I love this Chekhov's gun. They, to drive her big rig that starts off the action of the whole film, she's in this big semi type vehicle. And to drive it, um, she has particular kill switches so that it only is hers. She has a clutch that is a bone. And it is a hip bone. And I feel like that's so significant being that she is the lone woman amongst all of these war boys. Um, early on, like it's very much seen that Woman is a commodity. You see the the milking mothers that are just these very large women who are attached to, um, like lactating. I mean, they're they're like the human cows. And then you yeah. also you also learn that the other women oh, that are there on. are best best performance in the entire movie, bar none, is um, Joe's eldest son drinking milk. Mm, good, oh, mm, no. good, oh, yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I guess it's one of those things where you see like woman as role of you're the milker, you're the breeder, and it's not as another human being. And then you meet Furiosa and she is, she's seen as a human person. 
even with um, a limb difference, that she has like this mechanical arm. Um, but anyway, so her clutch, it is also a hidden knife when you pull out this hip bone. It's shown um, when someone else is trying to drive her car that that's what it is. And then ultimately, it is the thing that cuts her. And so, it, you know, it is a, absolutely the perfect sort of MacGuffin setup where that does drive the plot. Okay. I have to take a moment. Okay. I looked up that character's name, the eldest son. His name is <laughs> Rictus Erectus. And that's the best name of any character I've really? ever seen. <laughs> Sorry to derail this, but the man is well, no, named I, Rictus Erectus. Yeah, and I, th I think um, what Lauren is saying is quite excellent because it really speaks to the fact that they had, I think this movie started going into development in the 80s. And it's like, there's oh, constantly yes. a rush in Hollywood to have things churned out and properties made quickly. And I think people are seeing now with Top Gun, which we're seeing tomorrow, that mm -hmm. when you really good. take the time, when you really take the time to spend on these sequels and focus on symbolism and things like that, like you can really come up with some really excellent stuff that stand towards the theme and stuff that just gets missed yes. in the films that you're just churning out without thinking about it. People as an audience actually do care about the characters. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love action probably more than most ladies. I am going to go <laughs> see Downton Abbey with my mother and sister-in-law. Like I do love a good girl flick, but the the action also has to be driven by character. It has to be driven by plot and not just thrown around. Um, and, and the action has to deliver plot, and that's something I think this movie does really well. It does. It's um, it also doesn't pan over that each piece of every you know fist thrown, every gun loaded, it has a purpose in telling the story. Mm -hmm. When there are, later on, there's um, a double-barreled shotgun that both Max and Furiosa both try shooting this gun and it fails to shoot. Those small little things make such a difference. And I'm glad that they had many years to really craft this into something special. Shoutouts to Movies with Mike here for pointing out that like every gun is shown being taken from the car because this is suggesting this is how much ammunition that they have. Mm -hmm. right. This is all the guns that they have. And, you know, you mentioned her personal effects within the car, the fact that the manual stick shift is actually a blade, and there's all yes. these other things in there, and that's all set up for the audience to see. So when something is lost or when something is fired, you automatically can start trickling down in your mind. They only have this much left. They yes. only have this option mm -hmm. left and different things like that. And you also realize, like, she has personalized this vehicle there are skulls and everything, and she smashes out some of those skulls because there's a hitting gun under one of them that she has them hidden all over, but she also has this hidden hold that as she's driving her rig out, you recognize she takes a little detour. And one of the war rigs, I mean, it's, it's literally like when I'm writing these things down, I'm like, oh, that's very on the nose, that they're taking this path with a plot, and she decides I'm going to take a left turn from like what we're supposed to be doing here and we're gonna go head west instead and i think it is so wonderful having exposition done well where 
the war boy comes climbing along the car like, what's, what's going on? What did I miss? Why are you turning? I thought this is what we were doing. To have someone have real questions. I always love it when um, watching a movie with my dad when I was younger and now with my children. Like, oh, who's that guy? Where, where are they going? What's happening? Why are they doing that? And it, having a character who does the role for you, that is very seamless when you are asking those questions. What is going on? Why do I need to care? And it also reveals something about the relationship of who she is because she is absolutely respected for herself in her mm -hmm. role. And even though later in the film she does say that she's done this before, it's not in anyone's memory that she is nothing but a badass and an amazing leader who is worth following. Um, so then the, it doesn't take very long for, um, how do you say it? It's Immortan Jim? Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe. Yes. Immortan Joe, whose um, Funko Pop is on my desk at work. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. The mask on or the mask ripped off? Mask on. He's okay, still alive. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Spoilers, he uh, doesn't make it. Very, very soon after they leave the Citadel in this big rig that Furios is driving, it's quickly realized that she has precious cargo on board, that she has stolen all of Joe's um, many wives, that... Again, they are just a commodity. They are just seen in this movie very dehumanized. These are just the breeders. They don't call them by their names. They are breeders. Their names are great. Their names are very great. But it's it's funny because I only saw in the credits yesterday some of their names, but I already had kind of figured out which ones were which by kind of the types that they were. There's, you know, the mystic, and then there's, like, the... Um, girl who goes crawling back to her abuser and uses it against him and um Zoe the mother plays toast the knowing where max mm -hmm. comes in all of this is again at the very beginning of the movie God. he is taken given a tattoo he's that uh o negative universal donor he gets plugged. Kind, of, kind of fits his role in all the movies he just shows up somewhere and does something important for somebody <laughs> Whether he wants to or not. That's how he plays in all, all yeah. four films. I assume that's how what he doesn't. Right. Know, but. So one of the war boys, Nux, is attached to his blood bag, Max. And he is strapped um, on the front of a car in the way that um, mermaids were on the front of galleons. <laughs> Just tied there, keeping this boy alive. Because again with all of the fallout, there's a lot of disease and you had a very short lifespan unless you had someone who could give you fresh blood. And, but he also wanted to be glorious. Um, and part of this cult is this cult of Chrome and talking about making it to Valhalla in The Shining. Um, so he wants to make a name for himself within um, you know, underneath Joe. And so, like many of the other boys, he gets on, he grabs a steering wheel, which I love that detail where everyone has they their... Have the tree of steering wheels. They have, like, mm -hmm. that 
is removable because it's only one person that can drive and not just you leave it. And again, this is when more, like it seems like almost the entire film is, okay, here's gear one, here's gear two, here's gear three, here's gear four. Like just constantly ramping up. And so from the very beginning, it doesn't take long for there to be a car chase. And then you see that they're being flanked by not only um, their own people. Joe's war party. Joe's yeah. war party. But then there's the other two factions for the ammo and for. Well, we they don't show up yet. It's uh, It starts with um, those. It's the, the bandits. Yes. Right. Because it's just the two factions to start. Right? It is just, yeah. And then they hit the storm. And then they hit the storm. <clears throat> um, or I, I could be wrong about that. No, no, I'm just, I'm looking through just to make sure. Well, you're right, because the sandstorm comes first. And it is this massive wall of dust, ash storm coming in. So, I, I don't know about you guys, but I saw that storm in the trailer and immediately thought that this is going to be a dumb CG fast Roland Emmerich type movie. <laughs> like, I had no interest in this film from the trailer. I thought it was, it looked stupid to me, to be completely honest. I mean, do you, do you have... Well, you, well, even at the title sequence, when it says Mad Max and that Fury Road kind of comes by, it either looks like an 80s oh, like, yes. band rock album, or it looks like maybe some sort of like made-for-TV thing that was right. kind of expensive. So even at that point, and they're showing the credits early, I'm like, I don't know about this. Well, yeah. they even, like, how much... they Fast-forward the footage in that opening scene, and it looks like... The last time I've seen a movie earnestly fast-forward footage was like 1967. What didn't work the first time on repeat viewings, though, works like gangbusters because you're right. It is a 1980s movie. This is mm -hmm. a 1980s movie made in 2015. Absolutely, it is. And I think it's... So this wall of dust comes. And so I wrote down that this is the first quiet after that storm where dust gets into everything in the rig it completely covers Max, but he is still chained to this war boy. And um, their fate is, I mean, you could you could put it so many different ways, but he's literally chained to him still. Um, and before the, because apparently both of them were knocked out with the storm. Max pulls along the chain so that he comes across Nux, and his first thought, because he sees a gun on the ground, is to just shoot his wrist off so that he can be done with him. Do you, do you remember the end of Ma the first Mad Max? I don't. It's somewhat of a callback. Oh, yes. Because the very end of the first Mad Max, I believe it's the actor who plays him more than Joe, could be another one, but he, he ties, he handcuffs him to a car and lights a fuse to blow the car up and then hands him a, uh, a saw, a hacksaw, basically saying... You don't have enough time to cut through the chain, cut through your hand. And so this movie, right out of the gate, is him mm -hmm. reenacting the end of Mad Max, but he's just going to shoot somebody else's hand off to free himself. Right. <laughs> but I love it because he does stop before that happens. And he, um, he sees the women, and it is this, like, oasis moment because they're all hot and stuffy inside the bottom of the war rig where they've been hiding and they are pouring water on themselves. Um, you know, it, it just, it seems 
like very jarringly like different. Right? It does like, feel like a, a mirage. It, it's evoking that idea that it is. Know, he had just survived that crazy bit where he's rising up out of the sand, and then he you probably can't believe what he's actively seeing in that moment because of where he is, the dehydration, all that stuff taken yes. into consideration. That is absolutely what it feels like. And the image lingers though. And you realize just how vulnerable these women are. It really just, it just holds just the right amount of time. And then Furiosa comes in their defense. But at this point, they all seem like now they are entangled with another, like one another. Because even though the war boy is trying to get Furiosa, Nux is trying to win this glory this way, he's still chained to Max and they're all being chased. And so their lives become intertwined. They all get onto the rig. Um, we should not linger without a, on that fight for a I second. I was going to say, not without think, the fight first. I think that action scene is what sold me on the movie the first time. It is so beautifully choreographed and yes. filmed. It is frantic editing, but you yes. never lose track of where things where are. Where things are. Was that, was that Movies with Mikey where he broke down the center of frame, or was that a different YouTube video? Yes, that's, that's what he talked about. It's like everything here is dead center, so you don't have to like dart around and look all around. It's all right there in the middle. And you know exactly what's happening, even as it's so frenetic the entire time. Every action's choreo or is uh, is uh, blanking on the word uh, telegraphed, and then follows through, and then. But you it's also telling. And you also see like what's going on between Furiosa, who's defending the war rig herself, the women, and Max, who really what he wants is to just get free of this boy. You don't really have much more than that, but because he's entangled with him, um, they use the chain to, um, you know, start halfway through Furiosa and Max are fighting because Max and Nux are still chained to one another. Now it becomes like three of them fighting and for you, different ends, for and, different and ends love, and means. I love that Nux doesn't quite know whose side he's on because he's not, He's not very bright. I mean, he has right. two little bumps on his shoulder, and he like drew little smiley faces on them as like these boils on his skin. He's the, that moment. And he eats though, a bug dog on it. That really, yeah, that really sets the stage, you know. But he also like when they finally like kind of agree on like what is happening. We all need to get on the raid because we are being chased. He recognizes the women for the first time as so shiny, so chrome. Because he doesn't really have the language to recognize, like... You're beautiful. You're, yeah, you're beautiful. Mm -hmm. All of the other women that we know, um, I mean, pretty much we know the war boys and, like, the people way far down below us who are just um, decrepit and barely surviving people in the masses. Probably does not know women, but it is, it's just, um, his, his idea of, like, what's going on. Everyone gets back on the war rig. They've dusted off. They've gassed up. They are ready to go again. And one of the women says that almost prayer-like that we're going to the green place. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, and it just seems like such... Even, even saying the word, this green place, is so jarringly different than everything else that we've seen so far. That... Again, you're talking about having a mirage. That feels like a mirage, too, that there is nothing that is green. There is nothing that is like that. 
Um, and Furiosa really points that out because they also have been very much sheltered and one of the girls is shot and Furiosa says, out here everything hurts. This world is so <laughs> tough. Um, and you see the girls bef right before they get onto the war rig again, they are cutting off their chastity belts. You see it's them very comfortable. They've got these jaws on them that it seems like if you move in any direction, it hurts. Um, but they have this last moment where there is a kick and a spit towards these chastity belts is like a um, just a dismissal of their means of enslavement um, mm -hmm. that have all of these it just all of these little things tell you what each of the characters is thinking and what they want and what they don't want but I, I think throughout the film I, I really see that there's this shift and you can see it happening between this dehumanizing landscape to becoming our better selves in this wasteland. I mean, you see that that, that is what happens. Um, in our drama classes, we always talked about um, a movie, a play, the story is about the change of character. And you almost feel that the entire world has this shift too, that the world of Mad Max is a character in itself. One of the things I find so fascinating about this movie is they literally invented like a new language of slang here. Yes. And they managed to teach it to you with almost no effort whatsoever. Like the I mean, Schlanga? There was one thing I was walking away from this movie saying it was not only do um, witness me, which we used for just yes. about everything for months, it was that I die, I'm, I live again, that whole bit. And I live, know, I die, I live again. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but we were we were saying witness me for literally everything. For like, you fill your car with gasoline. You, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it, you lose track of all of it. It's it's just, <laughs> it 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 feels like I got indoctrinated into the cult by watching the movie. Yes, it which did. is quite a wonderful feeling in a really perverse way. I mean, even just today, I used uh, a gif of a Morton Joe saying uh, mediocre to describe a writing thing that I'm working on. <laughs> One of my absolute favorite gifs in the time of COVID was, and this is jumping ahead a little, is just every time somebody seems like they're trolling on the internet, is Max going, uh uh, that's bait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. wonderful. I haven't seen that yet. That's so good. Yeah. Oh. But okay, so. So I think we were going. Um, around that same time, so to go back, there's this fight between Max and Furiosa. They, um, you kind of get these first glimpses of trust between them. That honestly, it happens before. Very big, begrudging. But honestly, the first time happens before the dust storm, and Furiosa looks Max in the eye, and she looks at him as he is strapped on the front of this car. Um, as and he looks at her like a feral dog who saw something to make eye contact with. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's more each time. Um, when they come into the canyon, because originally there was supposed to be a trade, she really does start to trust him, whether he's trustworthy or not. You may have to drive the rig, she tells him, that 
this is how it it goes and she even well, does it, try to humanize him at the very beginning with what do i call you you know when when i need you to drive but i think that's the point you can tell she cares a lot about what she's doing but i think the point where she gives him the code to start the rig is very clear that she is doing this for other people not for herself this is yes. not i'm going to escape and save these women it's i'm going to save these women regardless of what happens to me it's very much you see her as a very much a selfless actor. Unlike the main others. character, who's kind of a dick for much of the movie. But that's why this is about <laughs> Mad Max, and this is how he changes over the course of this film. And I, I do love that. And I have to say, I feel very akin to Furiosa. I didn't usually get cast in these beautiful women roles. I usually get cast as, like, the leader of this army. And, you know here's a gun and and here's you know you give this speech to the rabble and so i i do feel that atypical um part of me very akin to furiosa well i see a little lauren doing like a stage play and somebody giving her a gun and she's saying cool and then being stoked to <laughs> do that role oh yeah well and i mean i i definitely feel that there's a part of me most of the time uh, go with the flow and all this, but if somebody steps on a nerve, you better watch out. Mm -hmm. uh, hold my beer. If somebody tells me that I cannot potty train my children before two years old, <laughs> hold my beer. No comments. Brandon, <laughs> hold my Cosmo. No yes. comments. Uh, yeah. Oh. She's trained all of our kids to, to piss in the toilet before two. All four of them. There's my asterisk. That's my comments. Yeah. Very chrome. Very shiny um, and shiny. chrome. Yeah. Very shiny and chrome. Um, I'll have to post the VFX breakdown that I found on YouTube in the notes because it's just crazy to watch just how much they did get away with because at some points they are going like around 50 miles per hour for some of these stunts and especially mm -hmm. the sure. old guys. That stuff oh my goodness. It's absurd. Get the hell out of here. Anytime I saw those guys do anything, I'm like, mm, mm, mm. no, no. Well, well but we've learned the director has no sense of preservation. This is a movie about say, the value of life and saving life and the director's like, yeah, let's stick him up there and swing him around while explosives yes. are going off. That'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, there were times where there were 150 stunt people on the set at the but same can you time imagine? some of the shots. But think about it. If you were one of those 150 stunt people, they were having the time of their life. No mm -hmm. one has ever asked me to be on that kind of a vehicle and like flying so far and so fast. I mean, mm -hmm. really, this is like a dream job if you are a stunt I person. Had, I had the thought while watching the movie that this is a movie like they don't make anymore. And then I had to think about it for a second and realize, no, they've never made movies like no. this. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, I like, it, I like th this is an old school filming, but... Nobody did this shit back in the day either. This is just insanity. This is insanity from beginning to end. This movie well, should not exist. speaks to like what you said, like with the grindhouse aspect of things. Is when they yeah. were doing those grindhouse movies, there wasn't care for different things. I mean, sure. Even, this is probably very dark, but one of the first things George Miller worked on was the Twilight Zone movie, in which three actors died during filming the movie <laughs> because they that. weren't safe. Did he do yes. a part in the Twilight yeah. Zone movie? Hmm. He did the uh, the redo of the Terror Twenty Thousand Feet. Oh, um, the, the that's on the, the one that scarred me more than anything else in my childhood. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, hell, the, the, the girl on the window? Worse. Dude, the girl oh, yeah. on that window is scary as hell. <laughs> Have you seen that shot of late? Like, you gone back and looked at him tearing that wing apart? It's been a long time. Scary. Long time. We'll put that in the show notes, too. Scary, scary stuff. It's not cute. Yeah. Mom yeah. and dad. 
It's not. It's well, scary. it has been it has been uh, used evil. many times. Ugh, evil. <laughs> As an adult, it's great though. Yeah. Gosh. Ah, uh-huh. uh, yeah. So again, the action. Again, she's supposed to meet with. Um, what are they on their motorcycles? They're just they're other just like bandits. Yeah, yeah. The, the the canyon bandits. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that action also is driving. There's the harpoon that gets stuck on her wheel because again, the steering wheels are each their own, and then her arm is being used. Um, like as a wrench because it's mechanical. Uh, or, I mean, she has like a, a wrench attached her, her to prosthetic. her prosthetic mm-hmm. hand. Um, the whole canyon kind of falls down, and then you see Joe's like monster truck. He's got these huge wheels going over the wreckage to continue to get these women back. Um, and at that point, you see that one of the the women who is very obviously pregnant, um, you see her inside the vehicle. You can actually see what looks like uh, the the baby's foot um, inside her womb, um, like moving around. So, like they the, again, you're like very much on the edge of life and death, and she gets thrown from the vehicle and it seems very clear that she dies and the other women are heartbroken and Max says she didn't make it, she was under the wheels, we have to keep going. Okay, is he lying there? I've never been able to figure it out. Uh, she does go under in Morton Joe's car despite the fact that he, the villain, literally tried to get out of the way and save her, which is, and he killed somebody on the back of his rig in that process to save her. her right so now um, now to be fair though um when when it's clear that she has been run over she is dead or dying really she's dying he is holding her in such a way that you see very clearly that she is like a broken thing yeah and that it the thing that is important he has most out is not her as a person but um, his child. I mean, they he, make it very he says clear. That, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It seems to me he's not saving her so much as at an act of love. It's it's the the guy on his back means less to the object in front of him, and he's willing to let that person die. Yeah. After all, Rictus Erectus is clearly not smart <laughs> enough to, to to take over when he dies. He needs a better. And, and did you know that Rictus Erectus's monster truck is named Bigfoot? That tracks. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And Morton Joe's vehicle is called the Giga Horse, and Nux's little coupe is called Elvis. <laughs> yes. Lovely. They, each of the cars has a different personality that I think, again, cars are like an extension of us, um, and even more so in this world of Mad Max. I think I'm going to go back to Nux with... Um, he gets hit on the like it's very much shown that he wants to impress Immorton I really can't say Immorton Joe Immorton that's because Joe. it doesn't sound right because it's, it's I'm sure it's like supposed to be like immortal it's immortal but it's their weird slang yeah Immorton yeah. it's how the Australians say it is what my thought of the meta was 
<laughs> Nux really wants to impress Joe. And he fails to do so. Repetitively. Repetitively. Mediocre. He, he comes to Joe specifically and says, I know how to get on this war rig. I was thrown off it. I know how to get back on. They've got this hold. I'm going to do it for you. And he fails at it. And he is just devastated. He really just wants dad to look at him. And one of the women in the truck, you know, he's hitting his head and she says, stop. And he says, like, but it's my destiny to, like, live in Valhalla. And she says, no, it seems like your destiny time and time again is to stay alive. That you are important. And you see for the first time things slow down that there's human touch. Again, I, I love watching this movie in the Chrome edition because it is so much a black and white kind of world. Well, you Later can make on, the parallel that Nux is really just a child anyway, because he's doing the typical self harm yes. that a child might do when they don't know under, how to un, they don't understand how to deal with pain. Like he's doing that very action. They say in the movie that even guns are like the anti seed, and so if you follow that through, that like women are like the seeds, and like bringing life, and it seems like with all of the guns and destruction that the war boys are bringing death. And it's just this fight between, like, life and death through the entire movie. You were saying with uh, Erectus, Rictus Erectus, when he talks, he's like the town crier <laughs> that I had a baby brother and he's perfect in every way. Perfect. Perfect in every so, way. So that's the thing I've quoted mostly whenever my brother comes and visits. <laughs> I have a baby brother and he is perfect in every way. <laughs> That, that, that's got a lot of traction in my household. Yeah. Uh, as the movie moves on, the sunlight is fading, and they come across very scarily that there's a bit of water. And so the dust turns into mud very quickly, and they are getting stuck. And as they're trying to get the rig unstuck with the, what's that thing called? Oh, a tree. Because Nux doesn't know what a tree is. To like, it doesn't make sense, because I think the apocalypse happened like 12 years before this movie occurred. <laughs> like, They had trees. It, well, that's actually something worth pointing out. This the, the, the setting of this movie makes no sense, and it doesn't matter in the slightest. I kind of love that. I mean, in the last couple years, people kind of went from certain things hey, aren't possible fair, to... Fair. Literally... <laughs> I won't go there. But it just—it seems like Max is. People can go nuts. Clearly. It seems like Max is about five years older than Nux, and he remembers the world before, and Nux has no idea what's going on. But well, that I is fair. Nux, they're kind of—they're suggesting Nux has like um, leukemia or sure. some sort of cancer, and thus he's always kind of been locked away. And him and um, his mates. Well, right. but also, th but then there's also the kind of enclosure in the citadel that really does keep the war boys separate. Mm -hmm. And, again, to keep the cult going, they really are kept far away um, in the hold of Joe. The next time I come to visit, we should probably get that, like, silver spray paint that they use on cakes. And just try it once, <laughs> Brendan, and, and just see how it feels, you know? Have I ever, ever told you I have a phobia of stuff on my face? 
Yes, because you gave it to me, and now I have that same <laughs> phobia. And whenever something happens to me, I'm like, I, no, I'm like, no, honey, Brendan gave me this. You have. To I check my I face. gave you that phobia. It's possible. Wait, wait, right, when did look, that happen? How did I do it? Tell me. Tell me more. You, there was a time in college where you flipped out because you thought something was on your face, and I assured you it wasn't. You're like, no, 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 I have to know. And you ran to a mirror, and I was like, uh-oh, I have this now. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've actually, I'm, I'm less bad since college, but I'm glad I passed it a lot. Maybe that's what it is. The spirit of the phobia passed on to you, and now well, I do see, better. But, but, this, but this is, okay, we're going to do a quick side tangent. Yeah, this please. is what yeah. happens to me. I loved flying growing up, and then one time I was on a Southwest flight with a crazy lady in 17B, and we hit rough turbulence over Albuquerque, and she literally thought the plane was going down, and that's how I feel now every time there's turbulence, I still think about that situation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I always think I'm going to die on every plane I ever get on, and that's just because of that stupid incident. (laughs) I don't know how this works. I don't know how this works, but... The the most scared I have, It's influence. It's influence of other humans. That's good, Yeah. Yeah. Most scared I've ever been on an airplane, I was reading Michael Crane's Airframe, and it's mostly just a very bureaucratic, investigatory journalism type thing. There's one scene where they talk about, in detail, a plane being ripped apart and stewardesses being sucked out and everybody dying horribly, and I was reading that right when we hit turbulence on an airplane. Only time I've ever been watching. I never finished watching Flight, but I did read the script, and that, like, the opening details to what that plane was going through... The, the writers of that movie painted this insane image in my mind and then I saw the movie and I was just like and, and at some point I don't know uh, when this was but like that movie was actually an in-flight movie that you could watch I think on Delta <gasps> Airlines oh. which makes the most sense because if it's going to go down it's going to be Delta <laughs> like, I, I have to state the only other time I was scared was with our, our other guest Bill Tullius when we were landing in Ecuador and we hit major turbulence there's lightning all the plane, around the plane and I was watching the end of um, August Rush and I remember specifically having the thought, ah, Buster! Serves me right, I'm gonna die watching this piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Recent guest of the show, Joe Cohn, that is his favorite movie. Um, I'm totally but anyway, sorry. That's all right. We'll go over that next week with all the, the terribleness with the list, but. Um, yeah, so they, they see the tree, they're getting to the yes. soft flats. We have, I, I, I wonder what that blue, because in the color version, it's all blue, except for like the little torch in the back of the, the rig, but like it's this beautiful, like deep, like ocean blue color that just encapsulates the entire sequence. It, um, in black and white? For, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it feels like a zombie like? movie. Yeah. Like, it, oh. it feels like you're watching Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Yeah, it's very correct. bleak, very bleak. You have those guys walking around in the background on stilts, uh, which is ripped straight out of The Dark Crystal by Jim Henson, because mm-hmm. that was in there. And I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. in this movie, too? Okay. <clears throat> well, right. and as they, as they get stuck in the mud, you notice the guy who's got his double guitar with the flames slows down. Doof. Doof. Yeah. We have to say his name every chance we get. All right. Well, uh, you know, since you brought up the doof, I got We got to take a second just to gosh about how insanely good this sounds. Oh my gosh! Like, oh yeah. So I've heard many good. people tell me that like you can't work out to classical music, which you can definitely work out to like movie soundtracks, but like just the main mm-hmm. insane theme with the strings will just like you'll pump weight better than you've ever pumped before. <laughs> in the mm-hmm. Road soundtrack, good gravy, is it amazing? I mean, that that feels like I did work out. For this whole movie, 
because yeah. every muscle in my body was just clenched the whole entire time. One of the cool <laughs> things about the soundtrack is because of the Doof Warrior, a lot of the soundtrack is happening in-universe. Yes. You see that there's hmm. there's this one part where they've got all of the drums. Um, there's these yeah, four yeah. ginormous drums on the back of one of the vehicles. Um where it does, it, it feels like the music is coming from the inside rather than the top down. It's not coming from like a composer box. It seems to be coming from the world itself. That's well, even cool. in the scene that you're referencing with the doof when he starts slowing down, like I was very impressed that like the the heavy genting of the guitar was matching the strokes of his finger. Don't don't don't. Yeah. Like, yes. He was hitting it. Like, yeah. No, I mean it, and it's those things. There, there's also parts that are super hilarious, like when the uh, one lord, warlord gets blown up as they're leaving uh, this one lone tree, and he becomes blinded. He's like, I can't see anything, and so he takes this strip <laughs> and covers his eyes, and he has two guns out to the side, and he says, I am the scales of justice, and it is, <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> because I've that never image thought is, of it as funny. It's, that image it's is terrifying. So, too. It is terrifying, but it's it's that like edge of a knife, dark humor of the whole thing. All this for a family squabble. Yep. All this for a family squabble. Yes. Well, deeper than a squabble, right? He's trying to, you know, Immortem Joe wants his one great male but, offspring to lead the War Boys. And but all that's of his I'm I'm quoting the Bullet short. Farmer. That's what he says. Remember. Now, there's a character that needed some more character development. It's nice that he has lots of bullets, but, like, where does he come from? You know, like, what is his goal? You know, <laughs> you know I, I, I didn't connect with the, with the you bullet farmer you didn't Two out of ten. Farmer. Trash. <laughs> I took you seriously there for a minute. Like, you really need you need to know about his childhood to get the movie? Well, but, see, that's yeah, what I, I... I really do yeah. like that, where you get flashes of Max's background. You keep on seeing one young girl yeah. that you know he reacts to as if she was physically there but then you get like these tiny glimpses from Furiosa's background that you don't have to elaborate on sometimes it's okay to not know every last detail speaking of that girl the movie seems to want you to think that's his daughter right from the first movie mm. but there is good implication that that's the girl that occurs in the prequel video game oh what you remember that video game we played a lot of <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, great weird. video game, man. A great video game. Is So, okay, is his daughter... Cause somebody told me that the narrator in the original Mad Max is the girl in Fury Road that he keeps flashing to. Is that his daughter? Is that how that I don't works? remember the, how the narrator narration works in the first movie, to be honest. Okay. I think the movie okay. wants you to think that it's his daughter, but the, the video game is a prequel right before this with a girl who looks very similar and says very similar stuff. I've heard Already people then. make the arguments, and I, it was more compelling than I normally give fan theories. Well, you know what I'll tell you was was compelling was when Max goes off to just handle the bad guys himself and lets the engine cool down, then comes back. They don't have to show the sequence. We already have established that he's a badass for meeting a two-horned lizard for no reason without even looking at it. The mm-hmm. fact that they it, – it, if in a weird way, it feels like the, oh, we ran out of money – Sequence, but it's also brilliant in and of itself that like he can just mm. walk away and come back and be like, "We're good," you know, and just move on mm. with life. I love that. I think it was also a really wonderful character moment too. Again, 
this is kind of the point of the movie where it's almost complete trust between Furiosa and Max. Mm-hmm. And it's right before the pivot to turn around. Um, they come across bait. Um, so it's the next day. Like it's a new dawn, if you will say. Um, <laughs> and you see this flash of light in the distance. And as they drive closer to it, you notice that it's um, a very tall tower with a naked woman saying help. And that's when Max says his line about bait. That's please. Yeah. Like I thought that. I said that's Bane. Okay. I thought they were That's Bane. Yeah. It was really <laughs> meta. I mean, he wore a mask for a part of the movie. And it's, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talked in a weird grunty accent. I'll go on the record. I think I think his Bane accent is great. I love it. I would happen to agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, what's the the, the Vuvalini? Is that how you say yes. the clan? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Or Volvalini, which I think Something is like that, yeah. absolutely on the nose. <laughs> yeah, um, a little. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that that's that's a lot of what this movie is about. It's very much on the nose. It is very much. Um, say it like it is there is no hinting it's it can show things as it goes um then the women come um and we meet them for the first time the naked girl um comes down because furiosa says that it's me you know i'm the daughter of this was my mother basically saying like that she is part of this tribe and she's embraced by the last of these women only to discover that the green place that they had been searching for they had gone through the night before where there are the crows and there is nothing left of that green place except for a medicine bag of seeds Mm. and i'm only recognizing that right now that that was like an old-timey medicine bag (laughs) um that Again, I think that kind of the, the more of the dichotomy is like the hope and defeat and they were going towards hope and you see when Furiosa realizes that there is no hope and like you see her utter defeat and she screams into the desert. Um, it is just such a cinematic moment. Mm-hmm. It is it's definitely one of the most iconic shots in the whole feature, I would say with her. It is. And just shouting into the void. Mm-hmm. Yes. Catching that sand in the wind. Because it gets yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> that was last week, Lauren. That was last week, I'm sorry. <laughs> Next week is the better movies. Mm. 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 So it's, a, it's around this time that um, they get all geared up and realize like there is what is left of the sea for hundreds of miles. Um, Max, you are free to go on your own way. And really, it's this image of this young girl that tells him that he has a duty to other people, that you can go on your own way or you can be part of something that's better. And so he follows on a motorcycle and goes to the women and says... 
we should turn around. And they come up with a plan saying that, you know, there's water there, there's growing things, there's a chance at life, and it's unprotected if we turn around right now and go right through the warlord's party. And so kind of when you meet the women is, again, one of the, the more like subtle and calm moments. And then they rev up their engines again and get right back into it with the turnaround. And they, I love that Max um, maps the world and he says that hope is a mistake. Instead, instead, let's fix what's broken because what's broken is leading to this insanity of warlords and things. And in together, this atypical female and this, you know, wayward lone wolf man go ahead and try to bring liberty to the rest of the people. Um, and it's the first time that we hear Nux's name. And it's like he's named a person. And like, this is to me like where this is where like the green place is happening. It's within the people themselves where they are becoming human, they are growing, and we're right back in the action. What I love about that sequence of them kind of just, of Max coming back and we can go back is everybody kind of agrees like right off the bat where he's like, we should go back. And the grown girl's like, yeah, like stuff grows there. Yeah, it's just, you know, tall and all those different things. Like they had already kind of thought through what he was already suggesting. And there's almost this hesitancy of like, well, they don't want to go towards the new necessarily that they had already had these answers kind of pre-planned and ready to go. Like, yeah, here's all the reasons why we could go back. And everyone just starts to kind of list them mm -hmm. off. Yeah. That, you know, that there's this collective good. They turn around. They go right in the middle of everyone's war parties. And as that happens, they realize, oh, we left our the Citadel unprotected. Crap. We got to go do that. Um, and this is, this is where I, I really love what's happening here is that we did get that Chekhov's gun with the clutch. It's the hidden bone knife and it's now in Furiosa's side and she is in a very, very bad way. Um, it's clear that through the rest of the movie, she is very hurt and, um, <laughs> there's just like these insane images where Max, in his attempt, like, as they're fighting their way back through Fury Road, he is upside down out the driver's side. And she's trying to hold on to him, and she's bleeding profusely. And then you see Nux coming to save, and it's like these roles are reversed with Max being the one being saved by Nux. And, um... You also see like the parallel story of Max and Furiosa both being stabbed. He's being stabbed through the hand. She's being stabbed through the side. And now they're on like this together parallel trajectory towards the end. But don't worry. Like if this, like if I'm reading too much into this movie, don't worry. There's still tons of explosions. It's gonna like, <laughs> it's gonna get bigger and badder. Uh, <laughs> so everybody's going to be on high sticks swinging around like dumbasses as things are exploding. What? <laughs> no, just just that, that, that explosion where they're on the sticks. When oh my gosh. I think one of the best oh, shots yeah. in film history. And I think just, I think that those are so brilliant the way that those are 
like attached to the vehicle <laughs> with yeah. with like the counterweights on those and people on the top. I mean, it is it is a insane. Like you said, that is the one word. It is an insane thing to think. Like let's let's have this as the choice here. Um, so those I, I texted Brendan this. I texted that you earlier, Brendan. I was like, if there's one ride I could see redoing based on this one, it's that Universal Studios has had this Waterworld stunt show for decades. They need to replace that stunt show with a Mad Max Fury Road stunt. Absolutely, <laughs> I would be all over that. Figure out a way to do it. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the people on those sticks are Cirque du Soleil uh, performers. They hired oh, really? to go swinging around. Yeah, because there a That's lot of awesome. that was captured in camera, and to see that, I would go to Universal just for that. Oh, I know I would. They should just do Cirque du Soleil. Should just do a Mad Max themed show. I yeah, mean, it's just be called Fury and put it in Vegas and just let them. That's oh, right. <laughs> oh, oh man! All right, oh, go ahead and pitch that. On. Go ahead. You just pick which casino. <laughs> All right. Oh gosh! Kick Britney Spears out. Put in Fury Road. <laughs> that would be amazing. No um, offense to Britney. This... It's just not the kind <laughs> of guns. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um. I have one of my one of my favorite moments is um, actually the sequence where Nux dies because yes. he had yep. this trajectory of all of the war boys who just have this like suicidal tendency yes. of like I die, I live again, going to Valhalla, and they're yep. all sprayed up and crazy. But he he's he's the last person to say um, the line. Witness me. Witness me. Yeah. And it's calm. It's sober. It's and it's clear, not because he wants just... to die. It's the only time he doesn't want to it die. Is. Right, right. But he has, oh. but he has someone to save. It's right. not. It's it, not it, that it's actually a sacrifice. He's trying to, try to die this That's whole exactly... movie selfishly, and this is the first time he's been given a chance to die selflessly. So, yeah, and sacrificially. Yeah. And uh, again, I think that that's kudos to this movie, where you can even have someone who is indoctrinated and. Um, so much part of this world brainwashed where there's him who turns to less suicidal and self-giving sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, one of the wives at like the very first opportunity tries to run back like to her abuser and and, um, at the end she's the one who uses that to get close to Joe and she's the one who announces that he's dead to everyone. Like that, that is pretty powerful stuff where in the movies, everyone can have their justice. Mm-hmm. And by getting their, their face ripped it, off. <laughs> it feels like every person gets to have a whole story told where mm-hmm. there aren't loose it, in a movie Jesus. without a script. In, right? in, a, in a movie, movie that is all action focused and oriented. That it is. I found it to be so um so much a part of like human triumph over this movie that is like machine desolate wasteland. It reminds me a lot the the first movie I did for the podcast, Snowpiercer, where I feel like you can watch this movie and you can pick yes. it apart and digest it and find all kinds of depth, or you can turn it on, watch it as an action movie and have a great time, and the movie is happier to let you do either way. And yes, I absolutely. I think that I watched it with both. I mean, it was 
a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of fun. I love the very last bit. They do come back to the Citadel, and it is the the breast-pumping mothers um, who let out the water, like this life-giving water at the very end. And Furiosa pulls in and reveals that Joe is dead, and she's raised up, and Max fades into the crowd. But there is this connection between the two of them. Fade to black. We're in search of our better selves in the wasteland. Such a good movie. Yes. I had a great time. So thank you for letting me gush. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I it was uh it was really crazy revisiting this look again. I just I fell in love with the cinematography all over again. Um just the set pieces and just so much of it was just um a crazy vision. Like from from start to finish, just everything having its own place and like clearly all the backstory work had been done with all the names and everything meaning different things and it mm -hmm. was absolutely an insane ride and as of june 1st they are shooting furiosa right now so, oh so they've yes. been filming for two weeks for one week and they picked uh the girl from um anna taylor queen's Joy. gambit yeah yep. that's it yeah the one with the uh, reptilian type eyes i think is what she's kind of known for Let's yeah. Out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's gorgeous. Uh, well, excellent, Brendan. Any thoughts from you? Any closing thoughts on Fury Road? No, I think it's a great movie. This is one of those movies. One of the rare times I think you liked a movie more than I did. I think and, so. And it's grown on. I enjoyed it in theaters. It has grown to be one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, if we still lived in the era of cable, this is one of those movies that would come on the screen and I'd watch it. Uh, from beginning to end every time it happens. Even now, I'll find it on whatever stream <coughs> excuse me. I'll find it on whatever streaming service happens to add of it and I'll just find like I'll see that it's there and the next thing I know I'll be forty five minutes into it. Um, <laughs> it just happens. Uh, it's a great movie. Excellent. Um I do not have the cast list or anything like that prepared, and we didn't ask those three questions. Oh, we should have. At the very least, we should do that. Lauren, let's well, take a movie. I, you go ahead. You ask me these questions, I'll just think of them on the floor. No, I need a, I need a movie you hate. You just got to tell me a movie you hate. What's a, what's a, I'm sure, we, I'm we sure skip the cast thing, but I, wanna, I want to do that at least. That's my bad. Well, I know. So you're saying that well, this, well, is, this well, is one of the rare movies where I liked it better than yeah. you did. But I know that we've come out of the movie theaters where I have not liked something, and he is just loving it. Um, so I'm trying to think of one of those. Oh, Last Jedi. No, that's a long bit her favorite. Yeah. Um, because it's objectively great. Um. Well, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of like the time when we watched um, extremely loud and incredibly close, and Brendan was just that. like I was livid. Fury. He was, I was livid. I was mad about that movie. It has come up on the show at least four times. I wouldn't be surprised, and it's not going to be the last. Uh, I need to keep my opinions to myself. No, it's a movie. This is our damn movie podcast. I'm trying to think of one that I really just hated. Hmm. Alas. Well, what? Well, you think about it. I'll think Nick, about it. Nick, what have you been watching lately? Other than Fury Road, which really has been kind of this, I don't know, religious experience, one might suggest. <laughs> um, 
Oh gosh, I can segue right into that. I am, was recommended a show about a religious experience, which yes. has been. Tell me about it. Good lord, uh, my uh, boss uh, heard for I don't remember how this even came up, but my wife read the book Under the Banner of Heaven, which I have never mm-hmm. heard of. I read it years um, ago. It's a great read. Yeah, and I mean the guy's written a ton of great books. Um, the for gonna sake into the wild it's is crack amazing. Into mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I was like, we could give this show a shot. I think there was a misunderstanding that my wife might be a true crime person, which she absolutely is not. And here's a true crime <laughs> show, which I didn't know it was true crime until the very end of the pilot, where it said this is based off of real events. And I was like, oh shoot, it is. Okay, crap. Um, <laughs> all right then. She didn't um, recognize it from the book. No, she did. I didn't you know the didn't. book was. I didn't know it was nonfiction. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh yeah. So I would, yeah. And I could. There's probably a lot more I should say about this off uh, microphone, but um, this is the best acting I've seen on TV in a long time. Like, okay, good. good I good, good, good. am huh. struck good. by the performances. Um, the brothers, specifically of the Lafferty family, are like everyone deserves an Emmy. Everyone deserves a Golden Globe. Um, these people need mm. to be cast in more things. Just like. Uh, Garfield already has ins- <laughs> Andrew Garfield to be more specific not the stupid orange cat uh, has mm. an amazing range when it comes to performance yes. we've seen that before in a number of things everyone mm-hmm. in this movie or everyone in this series matches him and Great. It's, it's, it's incredible um, yeah so we are really enjoying Under the Banner of Heaven we are taking our time with it we just finished uh, episode 4 today I think there's only 4 left to go anyway but um, incredible Really well done so far. Can't wait to see more. Um, I mentioned Top Gun 2 is tomorrow, so we're looking forward to that. Yay! It's really yeah. good, man. Enjoy yeah, it. The biggest, the biggest screen in Colorado. We got tickets for so the, we're really stoked on that. The last 30 minutes of Top Gun Maverick is the first time since Fury Road that I felt that intensity of an action movie. I've heard nothing but good things, which is starting to worry me. As you know, I tend to go the other way when I hear nothing but good things. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm stoked as hell. I can't just wait let it, it really let can. it be and let it wash over you. I mean, it's it's <sighs> it is an eighties movie. That yeah, it's a blast. Yeah. Right on. Um, and then I have read two books: uh, Traitor's Blade by Sebastian de Castell, which is really really good. And I've read Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb, and I will continue with both of those series. Um, very very good fantasy books awesome so that is is that everything and then a whole bunch of anime which I referenced on the show a bunch of times just really taking my time enjoying some really astoundingly good shows so Mm -hmm. that's what Lauren what have you been uh, watching reading doing we're gonna kind of do this together because there's hardly there's hardly nothing that hasn't been done in tandem well except for books I would say sure he's he's uh, got a tablet and has been reading comics while I have oh, been. Yeah. I've been reading The Firm by Grisham. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, like as an actual physical book. So it's he is a fascinating writer. It's the second thing that I've read by him. Um, I served on a jury earlier this year, and so Good. I'm just, you know, just, just really digging that into that. Experience. It was not. It was not joyful. Um, I have jury duty tomorrow morning. I just found. Out I wish I you luck. Godspeed. Thank you. I got. I hope that it's a DUI. It three days. <laughs> three days for a DUI. Yep. Wow. Nope, it wasn't that. It was something else. But yeah, yeah. that's yeah. yeah. So we'll yeah. see. 
I'll hope that it's good for you. Okay. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. What else? Okay. What so, else have we seen? So I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna mention what we've seen. And I want you to talk about it. Okay. So we got Paramount Plus to watch Halo. Yes. Which was crap. Unwatchable. <laughs> Unwatchable. I'm the biggest Halo fan, which is probably why it he was has read the books. He has played the games. I love the story. Uh, yes, I, I do. The, the the small series. We we got two months for free, and I couldn't watch episode two. I tried like a dozen times to start episode two, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. So what I eventually did is I watched uh, the previously on Halo two minutes <laughs> from each episode. I watched the sex scene just to to rage hate it, and then I watched the last five minutes. Yeah, your face that nobody else can see. Yes, the quizzical what what mm -hmm. is happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The sex scene with the character who is uh, uh, famous for his stoicism and lack of human entanglements. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I said it wrong. Not the sex scene. The war crime because it's with a captive of war. Um, yeah, it's a bad show. Anyway, so we had two <laughs> months of. Paramount I was just about to say, what what producers like teenage boys? You know what they really want in their Halo series? A nice sex scene. It's like, come on, nice man. Sex scene as a war crime. But but you know you know the video games. You never get to see Master Chief's face, and this you get to see his ass at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, real quick, real quick. We watched the Lost City yesterday, and you get to see oh! Tatum's ass in it, and it was oh, it was it good? perfectly acceptable. I, yes, I wanted to see it. It looks great. Yeah, no, it okay, was, we'll it check was it out. Uh, everything you thought it would be. It's it's, okay. it's cute and, yeah. So, anyways, we had two months of Paramount Plus, and I just piddled them away thinking I'd watch Halo at some point. And then a week before our thing ran out, I realized two comedy series that I've been dying to yes. watch for for a long time was on there, and we crammed two series yes. in in a week, and where, then you signed up for another free week on your email. Where so we would go finish. back and forth, like... We would start with one and then go to the other one and then go back to the first one on an evening. Yeah, it was so. Sometimes we'd even do it twice. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> so the shows are we did Detroiters. Um, and review. And review, with was it okay. Tim Daly? Yeah, um, Tim Robinson. Do, do you know any either of these? And Sam. I know I know Detroiters. I worked on those commercials and even those spots were very very funny. Oh my word! It is. It was so good. She I, liked Detroiters more. I, I really more. did like Detroiters Both are more. Great. Now they also had a different no, type of comedy genre. Andrew Daly is the actor on Review. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Talk about talk about it. Uh, Review is uh, about a guy who reviews <laughs> not books or movies. Or TV, but life itself, and is it any good? The opening line, life, it's all we have, but is it, but is it any good? So people call it oh and gosh. ask him to review facets of life. Let's let's actually just go to the Wikipedia, because it's got all the things um, he reviews in his ratings. And give you now, so he, as a character, is the sort of person who is like Ned Flanders, he wears his khaki pants, and yeah. is Ned Flanders always, is a perfect example. Always bright and you know tries to see the world in a certain way. So the one of the first things he's asked to review is what's it like to become addicted to something. So he goes and gets addicted to crack. Um, <laughs> this the, in the third episode. The third episode is one of the funniest oh. things I've ever seen in my life. The name of the title of it is Pancakes Divorce Pancakes. Now. 
I'm going to spoil it, so if you don't want to hear what the funniest episode of TV I've seen in years is about, just skip now. But it starts, the first thing he's asked to review in this episode is, what's it like to eat 15 pancakes? And it's him just hating life, just wishing he was dead as he eats 15 pancakes. Uh, the next thing he's asked to review is, what's it like to get divorced? And so he divorces his wife, whom he loves dearly, which... Okay, yeah. And then as he's alone and depressed living out of his office, because he has no good reason to divorce his wife, he's told for his third of you to eat, what's it like to eat 30 pancakes? <laughs> so, this is him, like, so, triumphing over... I mean, it's... This, this is episode three. Yeah. Now, here's what you gotta understand. He's this Ned Flanders character, but everybody else is playing this straight. Like, like normal people with this psychopath who's reviewing everything under the sun. So his wife doesn't get why he's, he's divorcing him. His co-host is seeing... And she she's like... Her character is bubbly blonde. That's her character. Is slowly, like... More and more horrified. More and more horrified. But, but the so what, what I think I'll sell you on, on the show is the fact that he gets divorced in episode three and he does not get remarried. He stays divorced for the whole series as you watch this show about him reviewing points about life as his personal family life just slowly devolves into chaos and anarchy. It's amazing. My gosh. That's incredible. Now, on the other hand, Detroiters is set in Detroit. And it's about two best friends, Tim Robinson and his, um, and Sam, <coughs> also a son last name. But they are pitch guys on an ad, like a family. Uh, They're an ad firm. They make commercials for yeah. Detroit. And uh, Richardson, Sam, Sam Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. I loved him, Robinson, on the Netflix show, um, I think you should leave. Which I can't shut up about on the podcast. <laughs> it is my happy place. If I'm having a bad day, we need to just watch a hot dog episode. And Either of the hot dog episodes. <laughs> but I mean, they, they even, they have a lot of the same actors uh, kind of in both of those shows. They even have a couple of the bits again, but it's, it's still so much more like a family drama. Detroiters is a nice comedy. It Review is, nice. is a mean comedy. Yeah. So it was nice having those back and forward. Um, that's, so that's what we've been watching. Um, have we watched any movies? We watched home? Top Gun. We watched we, Gun. Uh, we watched the Bob's Burgers movie, which is great. Oh, okay. So we did we did a triple feature last week. Um, I'm sure it came up because we no, ended we it with Obi Wan. We ended with Obi Wan. We did Bob's Burgers, Top Gun, Obi Wan. Right. Oh, we did. Uh, oh, we did Apollo ten and, ten and, a, and half. a half. Yes, we did. You and then we did River Run through it. I've heard of this. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. So it it's this rotoscoped, uh, kind of idealized tale of childhood in the 1960s in the Houston area. In the Houston area, and it's lovely. It I, it was really really delightful. I felt like I got a good insight into my dad's childhood, and now I understand why he thinks Mad Max is uh, evil. <laughs> oh. Oh, goodness. No. So it's it's great. So one thing I wanted to bring up. So I last night, two nights ago, I started reading Nice House on the Lake on my DC Comics subscription. You said you were the first Boy. issue, right? Yep. Speaking of... I, I, like, who recommended that to us? Jay Ryan did. Yeah. So he's right. 
knowing nothing about it, this is a compelling comic book, and you should check it out. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And that's all I'm going to say, because he's absolutely right. I wouldn't have enjoyed it nearly on the level that I did had I known what I was getting into. It's so much better this way. Wonderful. Yep. Well, while you guys were busy uh, talking about what you enjoyed, I did go ahead and pull up the credit list. So, Lauren, if you'd like to pick a number between 1 and 1,805, I believe this is the biggest credits list we've ever <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. And how many? Uh, 1,805. Okay. Whoa. All right. 913. A stereoscopic compositor QC supervisor. Let's see. Christopher Mierchen. Uh, M-Y-E-R-C-H-I-E-N, I believe. Let's see. Lotus IMDb up here. Okay, wow, he's done visual effects on a ton of different things. He's been a QC supervisor on Ready Player One, X-Men Days of hmm. Future oh, Past, yeah. Ant-Man, Blade Runner 2049, awesome. Oh, yeah, uh, love that too, movie. yeah. Yeah, Green Hornet, G.I. Joe Retaliation, mm-hmm. Iron Man 3, <laughs> Pacific Rim, <laughs> The Wolverine. Wait, wait, okay. did you not like Pacific Rim? <laughs> it's, it didn't get me the first time, I don't know. It's it's, oh. it's, it's perfectly good. It's perfectly oh. good. You like kaijus, okay? You like kaijus. That's fire, fair. That's right? fair. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I adore Pacific Rim. The first one, the second one sucks. Yeah. Triple uh, X3, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, lots of stuff. Hasn't worked since 2018. Hopefully he's still around. But uh, Chris, your work in supervising the people in this film has definitely made a difference. So thank you so Yay. much for working on this film. Yeah, you've been thank in some you, of my favorite movies. So, yeah. so yes. gracias. Alright, so I've got a movie, a couple movies. I'm going to mix them up. I'm, I'm going to... So I want you to pick a number between one and one. Okay. Don't <laughs> think about it this hard. Alright. What number? One! Okay. I said one. Lauren, will you play say something nice about the movie Love Actually? A movie that you just hate. Uh, um, actually, uh, yeah, I I do not like that that movie. No, no, I, no something nice. Something, something nice. nice. Okay, something okay, nice. something nice. Um, something so nice. Is Colin Firth decent? Colin Firth is decent in that movie. Decent. That's what that's what you've got to add. Decent. Decent. Colin, yes. No. Nice. Not decent. Nice. Nice. Sure, he's Colin nice. Firth. Oh, Colin Firth is nice. Oh, you know what? He let me nice say, let me say it this way. Colin Firth is in that movie. That is my nice thing to say about Love Actually. We're gonna have a long talk after this podcast about. <laughs> I I said he is in the movie. That you is know the what? nice thing. I forgot to ask for your hated movies before we started rolling. That's on me. But you know how this podcast works. Yep. <clears throat> yep. I apologize. Profusely. Love actually is about giving and taking. <laughs> Lust actually is not, though. <laughs> oh, Which I think is what the title of this film should be. So I, you're I saying can't wait to see what it. What was missing from Fury Road was Theology of the Body by John Paul II. <laughs> <laughs> right. My wife has referenced it many times. I'm actually, actually surprised have. she didn't bring that up tonight. I brought it up zero times, so good job, me. Good job, you. Yeah. You kept it very secular. <laughs> well, we're going to keep it going that way. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. This was excellent, and this was a great rewatch. Thank you for having us watch this amazing, <laughs> insane, noctane film. Just wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much Amen. for having me. 
And come back next week where you get to learn the second half of our Star Wars ranking. It gets spicy. That's right. Mm. Spicy. Muy caliente. Oh, yeah. All right. I will catch you later. Yep, we will see you all in the next one. Bye.